Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 168 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast, presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hi, Adam. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Yeah. I think it's a day early if people are listening It'll be to tomorrow. This. Yeah. But, yeah. Tomorrow is Halloween. And we have a Halloween author, finally. We do. Finally. We timed it well. Yes. So, uh, just really briefly, this is Carrie Maniscalco. Finally, I interviewed her at ALA mm-hmm. while you were running around. Yep. This was just the, the two of us, she and I. Um, she, I, I don't want to talk too much about her books because I've done this like 17 times on the podcast since then. Uh, she wrote Stalking Jack the Ripper and Hunting Prince Dracula. Uh, they're wonderful books. They're a young adult. They're, as we speak right now, the second one is on the YA bestsellers list. I think it's like the third best book yep. on the list. So very, very popular and very kind of spooky, you know, Halloween-y. So we wanted to wait until this time. Um, so check it out. The books are really, really fantastic. Um, I'm so glad that we could finally – we have a couple of these that we've been like sitting yep. on – Nice to finally get them out in the world. And a few more that we'll be sitting on for much, much longer. That's okay. That's okay. Um, so, yeah, if people want to get a hold of us, how can they do that? You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ProBookNerds. And they can email us directly at ProfessionalBookNerds at Overdrive.com. And then now the important stuff. Do you know what you're doing for Halloween? Have you decided what you're going as yet? I, I have, yes. Okay. I'm going as a pink lady from Greece. Oh, that's amazing. We haven't talked about that, have we? Mm-mm. That's fantastic. It came to me over the weekend. Nice. I'm doing a total cop-out. So at Overdrive, we have this big Halloween party. We do. I'm looking at you like I'm explaining it to you. And, but and you're explaining. explaining to our listeners. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, Halloween or Overdrive rocks when it comes to uh, holiday parties, and one of them we do is, is Halloween. And since I've been here for seven years and the company is much smaller, like people go all out, and it's fantastic. They do. Uh, we do a, a costume contest. We do... Best male costume, best female costume, best group costume. And a couple years ago, actually before the podcast even started, they asked me to MC it. So I always feel like I have to wear something. Mm-hmm. I'm doing a cop out this year because my sister-in-law got me a Jack Skellington onesie. Oh. Just going in. Yeah. That's fine. It's going to basically rock pajamas the whole time. I'm very excited. Cool. Yeah. Do you get a lot of trick-or-treaters? We do. We don't. We do. When I was growing up, we didn't. When I was growing up, uh, my parents would buy one bag of candy. They would buy whatever my f- sister and my favorite candy was, which is usually Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, because right. that's what we would eat. Um, so they would only buy one bag of candy. They would get maybe five trick-or-treaters, and we would just get the rest. Ooh. We just were not in a good situation for trick-or-treaters. And mm-hmm. so, but um, yeah, last year was the first year I was there in our house. Um, and yeah, we had a lot of trick-or-treaters. So what? what's like the, are you are you still going out and giving them? Reese cups or like what do you what do you guys get? That's out? usually what I well, I'm in charge of it. So that's usually what I buy is Reese's peanut butter cups. Nice. Yeah. We so we're on a we're on a street in a neighborhood, but across the street from us is like this really nice green space. We don't have neighbors across the street from us, but right across from that green space is a very busy street. We thought that meant we would get a lot of trick or treaters, but what it ends up being is like parents don't want their kids running 
by the super busy street. Right. So we end up not getting a ton That's of That's why them. my parents didn't get, yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we, we do, my wife loves um, fruity candy. Mm-hmm. I prefer chocolatey candy. So we kind of get a mix of both, but then we end up with Halloween candy for forever. Yeah. Um, oh, but speaking of like when we were younger, uh, my sister-in-law got married a couple weeks ago at this point, and she they did a Halloween-themed wedding. Nice, nice. So the the gift, like the little takeaway gift that was on your table, the favor. Thank you, the favor. Uh, They just made little candy bags for everyone. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, and they rocked old school candy. So Mm. we had like lemon heads. And then something that I haven't had in forever, which uh, my wife and I both enjoyed last night, fireballs. Oh, man. Yeah. So excited. Did you ever read Steve Allman's book, Candy Freak? No. Okay, this is actually Halloween related. I mean, it's candy related, but... um, It works. Steve Almond, uh, he wrote this book. He does, um, I can't remember, so I'm not going to try, try and remember. <laughs> but um, he uh, he wrote this book, God, it was probably like 10 years ago almost, called Candy Freak, mm-hmm. where he went around to a bunch of um, old, very old school candy makers that a lot of them are like local and you can't find in national grocery stores yeah. anymore. But like he goes like the Necco wafer. um the plant and like the Charleston Chew and um, all these other ones that I'd never heard of, but yeah. they're like these small. It's really kind of fun. Interesting. It's sort of about yeah. Speaking of those really small plate, like those really small kind of one-off candy shops uh, near where I live, just outside of Cleveland. I-, I live in a little city called Parma, and we have this place called Sweeties Candy. <gasps> I love Sweeties. Yeah, it's um, I believe it is the biggest candy shop in the country might be it's like a warehouse like if if any of you it's literally a warehouse of candy yeah if you've ever been to like costco or bj's or sam's club or any other like big box like wholesale food type of a place those huge grocery type stores that's it's that but just candy yep and they have all like old-timey candy from like basically every decade they also have all the harry potter candy which is cool um if you've ever been to Las Vegas and you go to the M&M store, you see all the different colored M&Ms they have and the giant, like, silos. They have those of Jelly Bellies at Sweetie's Candy. Um, if any of you ever take a trip to Cleveland, first off, reach out to us and, and we'll be happy to hang out with you. Also, go to Sweetie's Candy. It's really cool. Uh, Sweeties. They have the candy, candy cigarettes in there. Yeah. Good old candy cigarettes. Fun fact, my <laughs> sister-in-law tried to find those to put them in their bags, and they couldn't, so they just had candy sticks. <laughs> and I had one last night, and they they're not great no i yeah no i remember going we went there for my sister's wedding um getting the m&ms mm-hmm. colored ones that they have or the chocolate or the candy coated chocolate candy <laughs> yeah um and i remember seeing the candy cigarettes and i was just like i can't believe my like we were allowed to <laughs> they're lit- first off they're cigarettes horrible job to give those little kids and then not for nothing but like the they packaging t- packaging <laughs> and they taste terrible all three things don't give them to the kids Ugh, if you see this candy sticks, just pass. If you're like, oh, nostalgia, don't eat them. They're very bad. So that was, yeah, that just felt, you know, figured. For the intro, I've talked about Carrie Maniscalco so many times that leading in, if you're familiar with the, with the podcast, you've heard me talk about her. So I don't want to talk about that. Can't, candy works. Candy. Halloween. Absolutely. So, okay. Anything else that you can think of? No. Okay. All right. Well, I hope you guys all have a fantastic Halloween, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with the wonderful Carrie Maniscalco on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. I'm 
Hi everyone, it's Adam again, and today I'm joined by Carrie Maniscalco, who is a young adult author whose debut novel, Stalking Jack the Ripper, debuted at number one on the New York Times bestseller list. It incorporates Carrie's love of forensic science and unsolved history. Her follow-up novel, Hunting Prince Dracula, is now available. It will be when this comes out. I will edit all this. Okay. Should have said that ahead, but we'll put this out right. when it actually comes out. So, first off, congrats on debuting at number one your first time around. That's incredible. Thank you so much. It's still something that's such a shock. I <laughs> don't think I'll ever really. So, for people who aren't familiar, can you give our listeners maybe an introduction to the books that you've written? Sure. Um, I basically like to call them Victorian era CSIs. So you've got the 17-year-old Lord's daughter, and she kind of moonlights with her uncle in his forensic lab. And instead of going to tea parties, she's kind of elbows deep in her silk gloves <laughs> in cadavers. So it's like a gothic Nancy Drew, basically. Mm-hmm. So it's new mysteries, same characters who survive, different stories. And so the first one, as I mentioned, it was Jack, Jack the Ripper. Ripper. And then yeah. the second one is all about Dra- Vlad the Impaler, who was no, famously Dracula. Dracula, exactly. Okay, so I love the idea of having these historical characters be the premise. So, first off, why did you pick those two? I'm just curious. I loved Jack the Ripper, which always sounds really weird, and I don't know how to like, segue <laughs> into that, where you don't sound like a creep. Yeah. I was really fascinated by forensics, and kind of that was the biggest case, and still to this day being unsolved. It's just, mm-hmm. it had so much gray area that I could just explore, so... My grandma was a huge fan of whodunits, and mm-hmm. it was kind of like my ode to her. Yeah. So I took my love of forensics and her whodunits and kind of did my mashup. Yeah. And so this is fascinating to me because I feel like there's a few different characters in history, and Jack Dipper is one of them that, he said, it just kind of sticks in society's mind. Um, there have been other unsolved mysteries in the world, but for some reason, Jack the Ripper is one that has like stayed with us. Why do you think it is that people are still so fascinated by this? I think that because there is so much that it could be, like it could have been a pauper, it could have been an aristocrat, it was just, it could have been anyone. And I think that that's what becomes really fascinating is that you don't know. It could be your next door neighbor, it could be the butcher down the street. And I think that always fascinates people, that unknown. Okay, and then so, same kind of question for Vlad the Impaler for you. What You... You mentioned Jack the Ripper as being the whole forensic side of things. What drew you to Vlad and the story of Dracula? I was really interested when I started um, reading and seeing documentaries on TV where the villagers in those small towns really considered Vlad the Impaler to be a folk hero. Mm -hmm. And it's just such a twist because we see him as Vlad the Impaler who's impaling women and children and bloodthirsty and vampires coming from him right not so yeah i always i always tell people when i get funny looks you talk about being fascinated you know, loving jack the ripper i get funny looks because the actual book dracula with Bram Stoker's. i tell everyone it's the, the sad one of the saddest books to me dracula as a the vampire is to me a very sad character That's he's so alone yeah. but then i said i get those same looks where people are like so you feel sorry so for you him? sympathize with him. I sympathize, well, I yes. sympathize with Dracula, not so much like the Impaler. Yeah. So. Um, okay, you came out of the gate really, really hot with two massive, horrible historical figures. people. So I'm curious, I know that you have just, we're just talking about your second story, but do you have other characters in mind moving forward? I'm um, working on book three. Mm-hmm. So it should actually, by the time that this goes, it'll be 
turned in. It'll be turned, yeah. So, yeah, it's fun. From from a writing, <laughs> so and from a writing standpoint, what what is your process like? Are you a a planner? Do you kind of fly by the seat of your pants? I'm usually a pantser. Like I just kind of go with it. And working on a deadline has been so unique for me because mm-hmm. you just kind of can't be very linear because I like to go from chapter one to the end and just kind of like take my time and go over it but with Hunting Prince Dracula and now with the third book I find myself like writing scenes that I know are going to go into it Mm -hmm. and then I'll just kind of like piece them together so I kind of plot out what I want to happen Mm -hmm. and then just wherever the muse is taking me that day I go with it. Well and we I mentioned Forensic Science in the intro and I, I like to think of, when people tell me that, that they plan out scenes, I like to picture you having like one of those walls with the red yarn kind of like flying. From place. Is that? I want that. I want to do that. I haven't done that yet, but I have this really this little bird cage mm-hmm. that's got all my stuff. So I'll put like pictures yeah. up there, but I haven't done the string yet. Yeah. Well, and I, but I need that. Well, and I, I have spoken previously to a, a an author who writes crime novels, and he talked about how he has one of because he used to be a police officer, so he has that red yarn and. So I had to ask him, I'm like, okay, if you have that set up, for like for you, you have a birdcage like scene set up, I asked him, I was like, are you ever worried if someone's going to come in and see those types of things? I'm mostly terrified of serial killers myself coming after me. Yeah. And usually I'm like, well, you know, I'm on an FBI list, I know it, with, like, searching for, like, what do dead bodies smell like, and uh-huh. if you put lie on it, what happens? Like, how quickly does it decompose? Uh-huh. And, yeah. So being kind of terrified of it is that do you think that's why you're so fascinated to write about these types of characters? I think so because I'm always like serial killers are outside lock your doors and my parents are like no. <laughs> I used to do that when I was younger um, be watching scary uh, movies that I shouldn't have been watching Yeah. and then all of a sudden I'll like go hide under my blanket as if that's I gonna... watch horror movies and I'm like under the covers and watching it still kind of Okay, so do you have a favorite one? This is totally off topic, but I'm curious. Totally. Anything B, like the B horror movies, yes. I love them. I love them all. So you can name one thing, and I love it. All right. <laughs> when we stop recording, we're going to talk more about those, because I have a friend who will actively go out of his way. To, I don't... The ones that creep me out the most are the found footage ones. I'm good watching horror movies, but like found footage is creeps it's me so out. It's so creepy. So he'll go out of his way to say, hey, I found some more found footage. That's the whole thing. He's not happy with it. Um, something you put in your first novel that I thought was really cool... Uh, you put actual photos from the period, and there's some very famous Jack Ripper photos. I'm curious what went into that decision, and then did you do anything like that for the second story? I really love when I'm reading novels, uh, historical or even contemporary, if they have any kind of pictures of what's going on in the scenes, so you can kind of just really place yourself in it and see. So when I was writing it, I just I had found images myself to keep on my Pinterest board, mm-hmm. and then... <laughs> Sorry, I'm not really... Such a visual, you know, so, yeah. Um, And so, are you doing the same thing for the second one? Definitely the same. Awesome. Um, So how did you get interested in forensic medicine? That's that's an interesting... such a weird story. I'm such a weird kid. I went to art school. I'm from New York, so I went to art school in the city. And then 9-11 happened, and my school got turned into the Red Cross for a little bit, and I actually ended up going to the liberal arts school back where I live, and there I started taking science courses and criminal justice classes, Mm -hmm. and I got really into, like, forensics, because before then, people told me that I wasn't really good at science, but then I went to college, and I was really great at it, and it just kind of opened up this whole new realm for me. So how does one go from forensic medicine to author? To author? Well, then I went back to art school after the liberal arts, and I did (laughs) marketing, so... Uh 
I think it was always kind of more of an artist, mm-hmm. and writing was always something I just did that was for fun, it was a hobby, and mm-hmm. I don't know why, but I never thought about it being a career. It's just like, oh, that's just what I do. Uh-huh. It's just a fun thing. And so did you ever think when you were, you said you never really thought of it as like a career at first, but um, did you ever envision yourself when you were younger writing a novel one day? I always pictured being an artist, like working in um, a museum, doing art restoration. I was super into it. I love painting. And then I was like, well, you don't really make a lot of money at that, so maybe I won't be a starving artist. I'll be in, you know, uh-huh. um, marketing and packaging and doing all that stuff because it's fun, too. I really like commercial. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I didn't. I didn't picture going yeah. this route, and then I went to an astrologer when I was a teen, and he told me that I would be doing something in publishing, and I was like, this guy is a hack, like, I don't want to do publishing, there's uh-huh. no way, but yeah. I, now I, I think can't he was kind of on, yeah, he was, was totally was on, and now impressive. I'm going to find him, I can't find him anywhere yeah. on the internet, so I'm be like, Richard Rowe, <laughs> you called it. Um, so when you mentioned going to art school and working in a museum, and you love painting, is there a style of art that you are a bigger fan of than others? I really like um, Salvador Dali mm-hmm. and Picasso. I mean, I was always really drawn to abstract and kind of really graphic or surreal. Yeah. So I just I find that to be it's kind of like fantasy. Mm-hmm. And well, and I, that sort of that leads into your stories. It makes sense that that would so be the stuff you'd like be drawn leads. to. So it's cool because it's like everything kind of like bled into becoming an author. And now I take all those little different aspects and yeah. now I get to do all that. So. And then from as an author for your the research process for these two characters, you said that you saw some documentaries about by the Impaler. For Jack the Ripper, was it kind of the same thing, just sort of reading books? Or where did you yeah, find... I was obsessed since like high school with him. So I would watch everything I could. I'd read everything I could on him. There's a really cool website that's, um, I think it's theripper.org, mm-hmm. and they just have like case files that they would upload and transcripts from like the doctors and the medical examiners. Mm-hmm. Like you could really get nerd out with it. Do you think that's a case that'll ever ever get solved? I don't think so. I mean, I would like it to be, but mm-hmm. I don't think so. So, what spark? Actually, I, before I get into that, I have a question. On your website, you have. You mentioned that you grew up in a semi-haunted house in New York City. Okay, I want to know everything about that. So, it's actually a sad story. When we got the house, the lady who had lived there passed away outside. It was winter time, and she fell and broke her hip, and she froze to death. Oh, my God. So it's, yeah, it's really tragic. So, it's like steeped in tragedy. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, we would were pretty convinced that we had a ghost, and she would be in her little rocking chair, and every once in a while, there'd be, like, no heaters on or anything, and there'd just be, like, this cloud that would go from one room to the other, and everyone would be like, what's happening? Oh, my God. And sometimes you would hear someone walking up and down the stairs and going down the hallway. So, was this something that you were afraid of? That Like, morbidly fascinated by. Uh-huh. Like, sometimes, like, at nighttime, I would be afraid, but she was not really a scared yeah. But it's I, still unnerving. It's, yeah, exactly. That's the thing. Even you're still seeing someone yeah. who you weren't expecting to be there. Yeah. The scariest was, well, my house was old. It was from 1700s and some parts in the 1800s. And one time, my best friend and I, after school, middle school, we came over. We were, like, making chicken nuggets in the kitchen. And my mom and my sister were out. And all of a sudden, we heard this little kid laughing. And I was like, oh, my sister's home. Here comes Kelly. So we went flying from the kitchen to go greet them and help with the groceries and no one's home. We didn't have the radio on, we didn't have the TV on, we were out so bad. 
and then my mom pulled in like a few minutes later. We're like, but you heard that, right? All I'm picturing is your house being the house from Casper. The movie. Like that's all I can think of is that house with Casper and his three brothers. Like, get like Kevin. <laughs> um, so this is fascinating to me because talk about being afraid and like terrified of of serial killers and Ghosts. being unnerved by ghosts, but you are drawn to Do writing about it. I mean, maybe that's where. Yeah, and so. Do you think that like kind of living in this haunted house and having this around you is that kind of where your, your gothic and horror genres think so. like yeah. came from? Probably. And were those the books that you were reading as well when you were that age? I loved reading anything. I loved Nancy Drew books. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandma got my mom a whole set of Nancy Drews, and I remember just being a little kid and hiding under my covers with my flashlight and like really reading, getting really heart palpitations uh-huh. and freaking out. And it's just Nancy Drew, but I, I always loved that. I did that with. Um, the scariest stories to tell in the dark. There were like the yes, three of them, and yeah. there were this horrifying picture. Looking back to, I feel like we might be of a similar age. And when I was growing up, the things that my parents let me read and watch, like even cartoons, um, the Five Goes West cartoons. I remember, <laughs> like, yeah. there was this like, rat robot thing that was just right, horrifying. I'm sorry if I'm bringing. Yeah. Or like Fern Gully has the same thing. Like the, yeah. I'm a big giant nerd. I, these I things. love Fern Gully. Yeah. We used to watch that like over and over. But like now I'll watch, I'll look at things that my nieces and nephews will be watching. Like they'll get creeped out by something and then I'll look and then I'll go back to like the labyrinth and things <laughs> that I watched growing up and I'm like, you guys don't... Labyrinth was creepy. Yeah. They, awesome yeah, creepy. Very, very creepy. Um, something else that I am, I was floored by, your website, you have this amazing section dedicated to other writers. And that's... I see that a lot in, in why people want to help lift each other up, but what is it, why do you think it's so important to help other people find their voice? I just remember when I was first starting out, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know anything about the agenting process or like how to go from writing a book to critiquing it. And then I found like Nathan Bransford's blog and it was kind of like the holy grail for stuff. And I just kind of wanted to start making a trail for other people, like if they were just starting out and felt overwhelmed with stuff, that they would have kind of like the resources that I found to be the most helpful because, I mean, it's just everyone is talented, mm-hmm. you know, when you just get your big break. Yeah. So, yeah. Did you have people you were able to interact with? Because you, I, I don't want to inundate your website with people asking you questions, <laughs> like you're so great at, people will comment on things on your on your blogs and your posts and, and you get back to them and you respond to them. I try them. really, really hard to make sure I get back to everyone, especially on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I try on Instagram too and definitely yeah. the blog. So. Did, so did you have people that you were able to kind of do that with when you were trying to find... I have um, a really good writers group and one of the writers that's in it is A.G. Howard. She did the Splintered series. Yes. My so, wife actually is reading the last one yeah. li- in real time right now as we speak. Yes, so I love Anita. We were in the query trenches together, mm-hmm. and we kind of had like a whole group of us who are at varying stages of the publishing process. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, they were my posse, my crew. So That's amazing. I I love the YA community. They're so great. Especially like I, being I'm I'm on Twitter all the time, and for our podcast, we have our own Twitter account and all that good stuff. Like I just love seeing authors that I've spoke with interacting with each other, or like 
when like Lee Bardugo is great at this, she will always like she's incredible. But she'll always anytime someone has a book birthday, she'll be like, guys, here's five books you need to go check out. And yes. I just I'll just sit there and be like, this is amazing. It just makes me so happy. I remember she did that for Stalking Jack the Ripper, and I love her work. Like I'm obsessed. Mm-hmm. So I just like totally freaked out. I was running around the house telling my parents, it's like Lee Bardugo just tweeted about my book. <laughs> she, she's like the coolest. She, uh, you, you call her the queen. She literally is like yeah. she's one of those people. And she has a Wonder Woman book coming out. I. I was end up talking about Lee, but um, <laughs> what's your favorite part about being a YA author? I just love the community. I mean, it's a great, like we're talking about, mm-hmm. great bunch of people, and they're passionate, and uh, you can't get a better group of people together writing about stuff. And yeah, I just love the support, mm-hmm. and I love the sense of community. Yeah. Um, you mentioned A.G. Howard, and we obviously mentioned Lee, but what are some of the other books that you have enjoyed reading in the past couple months, couple years? Uh, Stephanie Garber, she's one of my friends too, and Caravel, I just, I love it. Sorry, it's, I'm just jealous over here with you. All these people are saying you're friends. I'm sorry, continue, <laughs> I apologize. Um, I just, I really love her work. It just reminds me of like an instant new classic, you know? Mm-hmm. And Tracy Chi, she's one of my agent sisters, and so we get to chat all the time too, and I love her to death. I mean, we have like our coffee talks uh-huh. where it's like we just talk about publishing and everything, and I would be lost without her. And, her book, um, The Speaker, mm-hmm. which is coming out in November now. It's incredible. I got a sneak peek early. And... Ha- have you gotten, there's some of the authors that I'll follow, they'll go on like author retreats together. Have you done any like writing retreats with people? I've gotten invitations to do it, but I haven't been able to do it yet. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping. I'm to... like, there's so many like, Instagram stores. Another, um, Zoraida Cordova. Like, is I want to go so yeah. yeah, I have um, Zoraida Cordova. She wrote a book called Labyrinth Lost. And she's Wonderful. I want to read it to my... So, she's actually been on her podcast like three... I keep having her come back. <laughs> and so we're legitimately friends now. And I'll follow her Instagram story. And she'll be like, just hanging out in Miami, writing with my friends. So, like, she went to, like, Costa Rica or Puerto Rico for, like, a month to write her book. And was sitting so in, like, like, Cleveland oh winter. Gosh, I want to do that, too. Yeah. I can't, though. I'm like, I just don't know how to write around other things, too. Uh-huh. I'm just... Be my little layer, yeah. but I want to. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, given that we're at a library conference, uh, I'm always curious. Do you have any thoughts on libraries or librarians? Maybe any stories from when you were growing up? I love librarians. Um, our family. Um, I always say that my grandma laid the foundation for books, and my mom and my dad just kind of like went with that. Mm-hmm. Every Saturday, we wouldn't go to the mall or the movies, we would go to the library. We'd go to bookstores. We would be like in New Paltz and going into the used bookstores, and I'd be a little kid like mm-hmm. sniffing the used books net and <laughs> wanting stuff, and it's like you could get five books or like whatever it was, like we'd have our book allowance. So yeah, I'd go and I'd talk to librarians and be like, I like scary stuff. That's awesome. Stories like that make me so happy, and I feel like the way you said it, your, your grandparents led the foundation. I tell people this story all the time. My mom, she uh, taught third and fourth grade for 39 years, and she and I had book dates. We would go a couple times uh, a year. Like, we would go to the library every week, but then we would go to like, Barnes & Noble or Borders, and she would, same thing, she'd buy me like five or six books. And the part that makes it adorable, quote-unquote, is that I'm 31, we still do this. So my mom, my mother will still, like, she'll be like, Meet me at Barnes and Noble, and I'm gonna buy you some books. And if I can buy my own, also, mom, I get so many books from publishers. Which is like, it doesn't matter. It's and important. It's to us. Yeah. So I think I having it's a well, yeah, and the people that lay the foundation, you're absolutely right. Like, if you have a, a parent or a grandparent who reads around you, then it shows you how important books can be. It's so important. I know my mom always talks about it that my grandmother would read to her while she was pregnant with my mom, and everyone would be like, you know, crazy. No one, she can't hear it, but it's like. That's amazing. And she did it because my mom is a huge book nerd too. That's 
Awesome. All right, so towards the end of our podcast, we do what we call the Nerd Nine, because I like alliteration. Okay. Just nine lighthearted questions. Not that the rest of these have been very hard-hitting, but <laughs> um, the first one is, what's the last book you finished reading? What's the last book I finished? Oh, I just finished reading The Cruel Prince by Holly Black. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite place to read? I really like reading in my room, in my bed, and I like to put my fairy lights on, and I have my cup of tea, mm-hmm. and I'll usually have like my little cat snuggle next to me. I... I, I struggle reading in bed. I always fall asleep. I I get we have a very comfortable bed, and it's like my favorite place on earth. But I can't read in it because I'm just yeah, I'm like I'm just gonna read more. Yeah, it's a good thing, but I'm always like I'm out. Um, do you have a guilty pleasure? Like I would mine if you were to go to my Instagram account. It's so many pictures of my dogs, like an unnecessary amount. I am a giant foodie. When I'm not writing, I'm cooking. I love everything about it, and I have an unhealthy obsession with posting pictures of my food all over the place. I was just going to say, you also have a food blog, right? I do. <laughs> okay, we, I want to talk about that a little bit as well when we finish recording. I'm also a big foodie. Um, what's one place you'd like to travel that you have not yet been to? I would really like to go to Bucharest after doing all my research for it. I've always wanted to go and Prague. I mean, I just want to go for a river yes. boat cruise over there. Yeah. yeah. Um, you, I think you kind of answered this, but are you a coffee person or a tea person? Tea person. Cats or dogs? And then we talked about food. Do you have, I have a, three? You have three. You have three cats. <laughs> I do. My co-host Jill, who's not here, is a cat person. I'm a dog person, so this is our eternal struggle. So I'll score one for her, even though she's not here. I mean, dogs are cute. Don't get me wrong. I like them, but <laughs> I've got my fur baby. It's okay. It's all right. I won't be mad about it. It's fine. Um, you mentioned food. Do you have a favorite food? Oh my gosh, I, I wouldn't even know where to start. I love everything so much. It just depends on. What okay. Food I'm in. We'll we'll go broader. I love curry. So, so, I mean, I really can't go wrong. Like, I'll go curry. So, you say green, red. Do you have a... I like the red, but I really like green, too. Okay. It's just me. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, like I said, didn't want to put you on the spot. And then the last one is, um, if you could have dinner with one person, alive or dead, who would you choose? Oh, my gosh. I know. I'm, I always feel like I should need to apologize when I ask this. So many people. I would Shakespeare. I would love to hang out with Dr. Seuss and just... I, so I actually, on my arm, which you can't see because I have a long sleeve shirt, and I have a All the Places You'll Go tattoo on my arm. Oh, that's so cool. Dr. Seuss is one of the two I always pick, and it's him or Jim Henson is mine. He's amazing. Well, we're going to make that be your answer because that's perfect. Uh, Last question for you, Carrie. What do you hope readers take away from reading your books? I just hope that they really get transported and enjoy themselves for a couple of hours and they get a little scared, but they're also happy. <laughs> That's perfect. Carrie, thank you so much for joining Thank you today. so much for having me. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.